where you're going with uh, with your sermon, uh, not a tame lion. He said, because I'm, I'm looking at your text and I don't see anything about lions in it. And I said, yeah, no, I was trying to do something cute. Um, and I, I told us, how many of y'all, have you ever, we'll start with the, the easy one. Have you ever seen the movie, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Movie, movie people, raise your hand. Any of you, don't be shy. Y'all Baptists are allowed to watch movies. It's 2019. It's Okay. Okay, um, now let's let's go advanced. How many of you have read the book, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe? If you have not, y'all, I did not. I always thought they were kids' books, right? But I I I, I told Mark what I think. He said nothing written by C.S. Lewis is a children's book. It doesn't matter if it is or not. Um, if you have not, I don't care how old you are. If you have not taken the time to sit down and read every single Chronicles of Narnia book there is you are doing yourself a disservice. Um, you really should. I read them as what I thought was a grown man in college, and I wept. I wept over them. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it, it is very much set up like a, like a children's book, okay? Uh, the, the brief synopsis is that you've got four kids set in the middle of World War II, um, and they have gone off to live with an eccentric friend of the family who has lots of strange things in his house. And since the, they, they thought the, the grounds were big, they were beautiful, that they're going to spend the whole summer playing outside, it's going to be great. And the whole time they're there, it's raining. So they can't go outside. It's horrible weather. So they set about exploring this big giant house. And they find that they're given free reign over this house except for this one room. And you know, Uncle Diggory tells them, don't go in this room. So, of course, what's the one room that the four kids want to go in? They want to go in that room. And when they go in that room, it is completely devoid and empty except for this big, giant wardrobe. And little Lucy, the youngest one, she says, well, the wardrobe's really big and I'm really little. I bet it would be fun to get in the wardrobe because then we're playing hide and seek. No one will ever find me. And so she crawls into the wardrobe and next thing she knows, she pops out of the wardrobe and she is in effectively this winter wonderland. And she realizes after a while, there's an entirely different world inside this wardrobe. And it's a world in which Animals talk, and she doesn't find any more people. It's just all the people are animals, and they're all talking, and they're shocked to see this little girl. Well, Lucy, after a while, makes her way out of the wardrobe, and she tells her brothers and sisters, you've got to come see this. So they go follow her, and they follow her into the wardrobe, and they get in there, and next thing you know, they walk far enough in because one of them, in the words of C.S. Lewis, closes the door of the wardrobe behind themselves, and it's very silly to shut oneself in a wardrobe. Well, the problem is they've now shut themselves in this other world and they can't get out. And they start to realize maybe this winter wonderland is not so much a wonderland as it is a, a horrorscape because it's always winter, but there's never Christmas. And the land is ruled by this evil woman called the White Witch. And everybody's terrified to even speak of her. But now that there are humans... The animals start to rustle and they say, well, wait a minute. We were promised a long time ago that when humans show up, Aslan will come. And the kids 
I'm going to try not to get choked up because this book messes me up. The kids, there's a section of the book where when they're talking to these animals they're hiding with because the white witch is after them because the last thing she wants is for Aslan to come. They're after the kids and the name Aslan is uttered. And the book says the kids, having never met him, when they hear his name, something causes them to get a little bit unsettled but a little hopeful at the same time, and they don't know what it is. And C.S. Lewis is very clear throughout the stories that Aslan is the Jesus character in the story. He always is. And they're trying to figure out who Aslan is. And Lucy, the one who found this world, asks Mr. Beaver, says, is Aslan a man? And Mr. Beaver goes, Aslan a man? Certainly not. Well, of course, well, Aslan couldn't be a man because if he's the Jesus figure and he comes to save a world full of animals, what would he have to be? He'd have to be an animal. Certainly he's not a man. I tell you, he's the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who's the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he, is he quite safe? I shall feel very nervous about meeting a lion. Anybody else? Would you feel nervous about meeting a lion, especially a lion who was the lion, the great lion? She says, I'd feel rather nervous meeting him. And Miss Beaver says, that you will, dear, no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just quite silly. Lucy said, then he isn't safe? And in one of the high points of the book, safe, said Mr. Beaver, didn't you hear what Mrs. Beaver was telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. How many times do we think of Jesus as safe. I don't mean safe in the sense that Jesus is going to destroy you. On the contrary, being with Jesus is the one place that you can guarantee you won't get destroyed. But on the other hand, how many times following Jesus, if you're actually following Him, does He lead you somewhere completely comfortable and predictable and easy where the ground is level and you said, I saw this coming from a mile away. Anybody Jesus ever done that with you? No, He hasn't. Don't lie. If you're following Him, where does He take you? He takes you all by yourself out into the middle of this valley with the entire army scared to go down there because there's a nine and a half foot tall man with a 30 something pound shield laughing at you, mocking your God, and he sends you out there with five rocks and a little piece of leather. If you follow Jesus where He's actually trying to take you, you're panicking because you're in a boat getting rocked around and you just left Jesus behind on the other shore. He said, I'll catch up with you later. He's not even with you. 
And you're rocking around on this boat afraid you're going to die. And Jesus is out there going, hey. Peter, what are you doing out there? Going for a walk. Want to join? Well, yeah. Then why are you in the boat? Uh, Do you see the water? Do you see me? If I tell you to come out here, come out here. Well, will you calm the water down? No. I can, but I won't. Are you coming or not? This is neat. Hey, you... Take your eyes off and down you go. Jesus never sends you somewhere easy. He never sends you somewhere predictable. In another word from from Narnia, he's not safe. He's not a tame lion. VBS theme this year is into the wild because y'all, if you don't follow him, that's where you're going to go. If you're going to follow him, that's where you're going to go. So the VBS verse this year and and the text for the sermon is going to be John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. So if you will stand with me out of the respect for the reading of God's word, we're going to talk about what it's like to follow Jesus into the wild. John chapter 20, verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to see your son Jesus for who he is and understand that following him uh, might not by our standards always be safe, but you're good. And that we can always trust that as scary as it might be, there's no better place to be than with you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So I want us to look at what John has to say uh, here in these couple of verses and see some some truths that we can learn about the signs that Jesus performed in Scripture. Um, So I want to break it down into three uh, almost tenses, time periods. I want us to see that John talks about things Jesus did that aren't recorded, things Jesus did that are recorded, and what we can learn from what is recorded about what Jesus is going to do in our lives. So, first, do you know that Jesus performed signs that aren't recorded in Scripture? Jesus did a lot of stuff that we don't have written down in the Bible. How do I know that? Because John just told me that. <clears throat> Look at verse 30. Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Now, some of y'all, most of y'all are using some variant of the King James. I know, I have taken a straw poll through getting to know you. And just when I see you, you've probably had the experience of me asking you randomly what translation of the Bible you're using. It's because I want to know what you're generally seeing when I'm preaching. Most of you have some variant of the King James, but some of you don't. Some of you have an ESV or a New American Standard or an NIV. This word doesn't literally read truly. The idea is this is a conjunction. John is tying what just happened to the previous paragraph. Now, what happened in the paragraph right before this? Well, if you back up a little bit, you'll see that this was Jesus appearing to his apostles right after Thomas has expressed doubt that Jesus is alive. And Thomas previously had said, I'm not going to believe this man is alive until you show me the holes in his hands and allow me to put my hand into the hole of his side. And Jesus shows up the next time they're together and goes, knock yourself out, Thomas. Now, can we guarantee that Jesus is going to do that for everybody? No. 
Has Jesus ever shown up for you and let you touch the holes in his hands? And put your... If he has, I would like to know the next time he makes an appointment with you to do that. That would be neat to be there. But I don't know anybody that's ever experienced that. But the point is that Jesus performed a sign to aid in Thomas's belief. And then John says in verse 30, and that's not the only time Jesus did something like this. There are plenty of other times that Jesus performed signs in the presence of His disciples that are not written in this book. Now when He says this book, He means in His Gospel. Okay? In John's Gospel. Uh, that, that is in general the, the book that He's talking about. Uh, that you have some other ones uh, you might find in something like Luke 8. I didn't put this on your handout. Uh, but if you go back to Luke 8, this is something that John doesn't mention. <clears throat> Luke 8, chapter 40. So it was, or, or excuse me, uh, 8, verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed Him and they were all waiting for Him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. And he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged Him to come to His house for He had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Skip forward to verse 49 because an entirely separate miracle happens in between there on the way to Jairus' house. But jump forward to verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, that's Jairus, saying to him, your daughter, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. Do not be afraid, only what? Believe. Okay, that's important. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John and the father and mother of the girl. Is this public or private? This is private. His inner circle and the girl's parents. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and he arose immediately, and he commanded she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what happened. Now this is not recorded in the Gospel of John. How do we know that that happened? Because Luke tracked it down and wrote it down for us. But again, what John says, there are plenty of other things that Jesus did that I did not write down that other people experienced, that other disciples of him saw. That was just one of them. And there are tons more that John didn't record. And we can also surmise that there's tons more that Jesus did that the other disciples did not record. How many other private events were there like that? How many other people did Jesus heal? How many other wonders did Jesus do? We have no way of knowing. In fact, if you go to John chapter 21, verse 25, this is on your handout. Your Bible says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. This is astonishing. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Say, well, all Jesus, all of them are contained in the Gospels. No, you don't have enough room in your Bible to fit all the things that Jesus did. Every one of your Gospels in here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is kind of like a greatest hits. Kind of like a Jesus greatest hits album. That these are some of the biggest, most noticeable things he did. But you have no idea how many times Jesus did something simple that totally blew someone's mind that we don't have written down to ever know about this side of glory. Jesus working. What can we learn from this? What is John trying to communicate? 
that Jesus working is not a rarity. It's not something that should shock us when it happens. Y'all, I'm afraid that our picture of this safe Jesus is that anytime we see Him act, it's a miracle. Because it's so rare. Might not Jesus acting be rare because we don't expect Him to do it? And we turn around and we say, well, if Jesus would do more, I would expect Him to do more. And Jesus turns around and said, no, you got it backwards, brothers and sisters. If you expected me to do more, I would. But you don't. We don't. Y'all, Baptists, we got a real, real, real problem with the Holy Spirit. I don't mean we have a problem in the sense that we don't like Him. I mean that we got a problem in the sense that He... We kind of freaked out to talk about him. I saw a church one time that at the bottom of their of their order of worship they had they had an asterisk that said order of worship subject to change at any point at the direction of the Holy Spirit. That they just put it at the bottom and said, hey, if God does something that we got to react to, you need to know that this is just a general plan. If God decides to move, we're going to follow him. I thought that was pretty neat. That they expected Him to do something. That Jesus' people should expect to see Him at work. Because who was it that the unwritten signs were done in the presence of? Verse 30. Who did it say He did them in the presence of? His disciples. If anybody should see Jesus work, it ought to be us. We're the ones who follow Him, right? We're His disciples, so if we're going to see Jesus work, we keep, we keep praying things like, oh Jesus, show this community, act in the community. No, no, no. What we should be doing is praying Jesus to do a work here that the community can't ignore. Because Jesus acts in the presence of His disciples. If we're not seeing Him at work, why might that be? Matthew 13, 58. Now he did not do many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. That's on your handout. Put it on your refrigerator. Text it to yourself every day on your phone. Whatever you want to do. Why is it that Jesus was not at work? Because of their unbelief. Well, Jesus, if you would act, I would believe more. No, if you would believe more, Jesus would act. It's backwards. So, John wanted to tell us, y'all, Jesus did a whole lot more than is written down for you. You don't have a record of everything that He did, of every life that He touched, of every person that He healed. That He did a lot more. <clears throat> so, if we're not careful though, we as a church can go off on what I like to call a flight of fancy. What is a flight of fancy? It's us trying to imagine with our little comic book laden minds, well, what might these unwritten works have looked like? You know, there are crazy stories out there that medieval writers wrote of things like Jesus and some of his friends out in the street playing ball and the ball accidentally hits a bird and kills it and Jesus resurrects the bird. I'm like, y'all, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you trying to do with this? Like, this is something that Marvel or DC would write, not something that you would find in your Bible. 
You know, this, this, what, what's the point of that? Well, I want us to look here at verse 31a, the second half of verse 31. Or the, or the first half, rather. Why did John write down the things he wrote? But these are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That John picked out, John's very clear. I specifically cherry-picked these actions that Jesus took because I wanted you to believe in who He is. And the Holy Spirit, working through John, wrote down these things. In the, in the Gospel of John, there are seven. There are seven. I said seven. That's only five. Here's the other two. There are seven signs in John. Now, Josh, why are you saying signs and not miracles? Well, when's the last time you rode down the road and you saw a speed limit miracle? You didn't, did you? You saw a speed limit sign. A miracle is just something that's happening out of the ordinary. A sign is also out of the ordinary. You don't ever walk through the woods and see a sign on a tree and go, wow, that's a sign tree. Can you believe it grew that thing? No, somebody posted it, right? If there's a sign, somebody put it up. It's out of the ordinary. It's never going to naturally occur. But what is the function of a sign? It is to give some form of information that did not naturally arise. So a tree is never going to grow a 35 mile an hour speed limit sign. The Georgia Department of Transportation is going to put up a 35 mile per hour speed limit sign so that when you see this miracle of human engineering, you will know that you are supposed to pump the brakes on your car or our friends in the, in the, the white cars in Stapleton that love to turn on their lights and greet you are going to get you. And they should. I got a daughter in my house that I want them to greet you instead of her. Right? Okay? So, that sign is there so that you know something by its presence. Jesus' miracles have a purpose. He didn't do them just to do something. He did something to communicate something. Now let's look through the Gospel of John and look at some of the things that he did. In John 2, he turned water to wine. In John 4, he healed a nobleman's dying son. In John 5, he healed the infirmity of a man at the pool of Bethesda. In John 6, he fed the 5,000. Also in John 6, he walked on water. In John 9, he healed a blind man. And in John 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead. So, what links all of these different things together? Very simply, I think what these seven miracles together, what these seven signs do, is communicate to us that there is no corner of creation that is outside the jurisdiction of King Jesus. That there is nothing in all of the cosmos that Jesus cannot with a word bend to His will. Whether it is the molecules of H2O changing into something else, whether it is a dead man who's been buried for three days answering a command, 
whether or not it's someone who depended on superstition for years to be healed, and Jesus said, how about I just do it? Whether or not it's, uh, it's the, it, the sickness of someone who is on the door of death being restored, whether or not it is someone needing supernatural provision to just make it through the day, whether or not it's Jesus bending the elements themselves, taking the infirmity of water and walking on it like it's laminate tile. That Jesus can do whatever He wants with whoever or whatever He wants whenever He wants to do it. That that is the purpose of these from everything from molecular structure to life and death itself. Jesus has absolute power. So, knowing that that's what's being communicated, what is the intent of these things? Because the reason, think of signs. Signs are not arbitrary. You do understand, let, let's go back to our, our speed limit sign, okay? Did the police put up speed limit signs just because they don't like you to go fast? No. They put up speed limit signs because on either side of this road running through town, there are numbers of children that play outside. And if you come flying through here at 65 miles an hour, you might hit my daughter. And then there's no speed limit sign in the world that's going to save you. There's a purpose. There's an intent. There's a reason that they put those signs up. Not just because they want you to go slow, but because they're trying to accomplish something. In that case, it's safety. Well, for John, what was his reason for recording that Jesus has this power? Well, he tells you. He wants you to believe that Jesus has this power because he is the Christ, the Son of God. The Greek word behind sign shows up... Uh, 77 times in the New Testament, and 72 times it's translated as sign, only five is it translated miracle in the New King James. That there's an intent behind them. Uh, it is intended to facilitate belief. So, how do we apply this? Well, knowing that, uh, knowing that there are plenty of signs that Jesus did that Scripture doesn't record, it is a good principle of interpreting your Bible... How many of you have ever read something in your Bible that was difficult to understand? Anybody? Yes. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. Let me suggest to you repentance. Uh, <laughs> uh, all of us have read something in our Bible that's difficult to understand. How many of you, on the other hand, have also read something in your Bible that is painfully easy to understand? Okay? Classic Mark Twain quote, it's not the parts of the Bibles I don't, Bible I don't understand that trouble me, it's the parts of the Bible I do. Okay, that there's lots of sections in your Bible that may be difficult to understand. It's a good rule of interpretation when you come across a section of your Bible that's difficult to understand to interpret it by the parts of your Bible that are easy to understand because God is consistent. So if you read this part over here that's difficult to understand, and you go, you go off on some wild tangent, well, what if God does this and this and this, and what if this is like, and then you read an easy verse over here that goes, nope, you're wrong, interpret this by that. Okay? That way you don't get confused. So when we've got all of this over here that we might go off on tangents on, well, what if Jesus did this? What if Jesus did this? What if Jesus... No, go back and look at what John recorded and say what kinds of things did he do and what was the intent. 
that we can know that everything Jesus ever did, whether it was recorded or unrecorded, was always with the intent of communicating to those who saw it that they should believe in Him as the Christ, the Son of God. He never did it for His own gain. He never did it just as a show. There was always a purpose for it. This is not on your handout, but how do I know that? Because Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that means whatever He's like when you do see Him, He's the exact same way as when you don't. Okay? So every action Jesus ever took, all the way to the cross and resurrection, ultimately to His cross and resurrection... Everything He did was to bring you to a point where you would have the realization that that Roman soldier said that this man truly was the Son of God. This man really did make good on everything He ever said. He really is the sacrifice for the sins of all humankind. That everything He ever did was to bring you to that point, whether it's public or private. His miracles are intended to show us in Colossians 1, 15-7 that He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things consist. They are intended to teach you that there is nothing outside the realm of His power. They are intended to convince you He is the Christ and you should trust in Him for forgiveness. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him? God also bearing witness with both signs and wonders, with various miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. That the scope of Jesus' act Proved that His jurisdiction covers all creation. The purpose of Jesus' acts was to facilitate belief that He is the Christ, the Son of God, and the predictability of Jesus' acts. Can we stop here for a second? How many of y'all have ever seen a, a little bracelet that says WWJD? Y'all ever seen them? Man, they were a fad when I was like 12. Everybody wore them. Can I, can I confess something to y'all as your pastor? I'll be honest. Y'all might judge me. Y'all might kick me out. Whatever y'all want to do. I hate them. I hate those bracelets. I hate those shirts. Not because there's a, a, a bad intent behind them. There's a really good intent behind them. But they stand for what would Jesus do? What I've found that more often than not, their source for figuring out what Jesus would do is the Jesus that lives in their minds rather than the Jesus who lives in this book. Because thinking that you could figure out what Jesus might do, to me is ridiculous. Because the Jesus in this book never did what anyone expected him to do. Did he? Jesus, you can go home. She's dead. No, give me a minute. Okay, get up, little girl. Okay. Did anybody see that coming? Jesus, we're getting in the boat to leave. You coming? Yeah, just not with y'all. They're out on the boat. Hey, I'm going to beat y'all there if y'all hurry up. Did anybody see that coming? No. 
Okay, uh, resurrection. Despite the fact that he tried to tell them over and over and over and over, did anybody see it coming? No. None of the disciples said, huh, he told us he's going to do this. Why are y'all all surprised? They're running around pulling their hair out like they've lost their minds because they said, this has never happened before. Jesus said, I told y'all. Nobody expected it. Y'all, Jesus never does things the way we expect Him to. He never has. What makes us think? If Jesus, in the past, unrecorded, did anything like the miracles that John recorded, we should also understand that Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That Jesus' power runs all the way over creation. Jesus' miracles are always intended to point to Him as the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus' signs and acts are never what we expect them to be. So what does that mean for us today in 2019? If Jesus did things in the past that weren't recorded, and we judge and evaluate those by the things that are recorded, Okay, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So however He was in what we see in Scripture is how He was when we didn't see Him in Scripture. Is Stapleton, most important question I'm going to ask you this morning, is Jesus alive? Yes. Is Jesus active and working currently? Yes. I better hear my experience in God, people. Y'all better be responding. That's number one in this Bible study is that God is always at work. Okay? If Jesus is alive and Jesus is working today and He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then we know, based on what John wrote, if His actions we didn't see then were just like this, what are His actions now going to be like? Just like this. Broad enough in scope that there is nothing in your life, because John says in the second half of verse 31, that by believing you may have life in His name. Okay? <clears throat> I have it on good authority that somebody last week stood in front of you and preached that Jesus did not intend for you to have a humdrum Christian life. Right? Somebody that is very close to me right now told you last week that your Christian life should not be boring. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. If Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He is always at work, and we can judge the kinds of things He does based on what John's shown us, both in the past, where it was written in Scripture, and now, Jesus ought to be doing those same kinds of things in your life and in this church constantly. Well, wait a minute. Josh, no, that's, that can't be what Scripture means. Stop making Him safe. Stop it. 
It's our tendency to go, no, no, that wasn't for me. That was just for the Bible. That's for those folks who lived in that earlier, in that earlier time. You know, I've got all of these big fancy uh, theologians with lots of letters behind their name using words like cessation and, and all of this other stuff. And just, God doesn't do things like that anymore. Chapter and verse, please. Where does the Bible tell you God stopped doing things? It doesn't say that, does it? What the Bible does say is that God doesn't work when we don't believe He's going to work. I know that this life Jesus promised, this abundant life Jesus promised, was not just for those people, it's for us. Because John 17, 20, Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word. That if John intended those people to believe based on what Jesus did, John intends us to believe based on what Jesus did and does. Does. Present tense. Do we think of Jesus as safe? I'll I'll close out with this verse and then I'll tell you all a story. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to those generations in the past that are long gone. No. To all generations. Forever and ever. Amen. Listen. For everything from salvation, men, women, boys, girls, Y'all might be thinking, sure, it'd be easy for them to believe. They saw the risen Christ. If Jesus would just show me something, I'd believe in Him. I'd be saved. I'd know He wanted me. No, listen. If you want to know that God is acting and speaking to you, if you're sitting there asking for a sign, why don't you consider the fact that you're in a building full of people who are telling you, here's your sign. I'm literally jumping up and down, waving my arms, trying to get your attention right now. Jesus is trying to tell you He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you would just believe in Him, there's enough here for you to believe and find life in His name. There, you heard it. And I tell you on the authority of Scripture that one day, if you choose not to believe, you will stand in front of Jesus and you're going to say, well, nobody ever told me. And Jesus is going to play back today. The Bible says, well, what authority of Scripture? That Romans says that there's no excuse. You're hearing today that Jesus is calling you, that you are being given a sign right now. You've been given all the information. Are you going to act on it or not? And for those of us as Christians, y'all, look at that verse in Ephesians. I'm convinced that more often than not, Jesus doesn't do God-sized things because we ask people-sized things of Him. I'm wearing this little Fitbit right here um, because I'm not fit. And it makes people think I'm fit when I wear it. No, I'm actually trying to get fit. It's failing. Um, But every so often, once once an hour, if I'm too sedentary and I'm in here working on my, my sermons, then it will buzz at me and tell me I need to get up and walk. 
And if you're wondering, one lap around these pews is 50 steps. So I come in here and I walk around these pews. And I take that opportunity to pray. Jesus and I just chat for at least 250 steps. And I was walking around here one day after doing Experiencing God on Wednesday night. No, this, this, this was one Wednesday. And I said, you know, Jesus, I've come to the realization that as pastor of this church, I pray and say we're waiting on you to do something. When really I think what's going through my mind is I'm waiting to come up with this great idea that's going to, to solve our issues and we're going to enact it as a church and then just give you the credit for it. When that's not really what you want me to do. What you want me to do is actually trust you to do something. Independent of me. And I said, and I need to confess this as a sin. That I've been trying to do your work for you. And I'm just going to trust you to, to bring folks to this church. If I'm lying, I'm dying in the words of Jerry Cloud. <laughs> that night. We had some folks show up on Wednesday night that I have not been by their house. I have not knocked on their door. I have not called them. I met them at Vacation Bible School last year. And I said, well, hi. So, so how are y'all doing? What brings y'all here tonight? We're glad to see you. They said, well, you know, it's funny that my doctor, you know, told us that we needed to get out and be more active and walk. And we were out walking one day. And... We saw you walking across the street. My son said, hey, that's the pastor of that church that I went to vacation Bible school at. Mom, let's go to church tonight. And they were here. And I just looked up. I said, are you kidding me? And Jesus said, no, it took you long enough. Y'all, how many of y'all have the exact same experience? Might be waiting for y'all. It might be waiting for this church. He is able to do more than you could ever ask or imagine, but he can't do anything through the belief. He is not a tame, safe lion. Stapleton, are you willing to step out? Are you willing to give it a shot? Are you willing to taste and see? Or do you want a safe, easy, predictable Jesus. If that's the Jesus you want, you're going to be sorely disappointed because he ain't there. The only Jesus there is is this one right here. And y'all, you can't reel this one in if he pulls you out into the water with him or you don't need him at all. So... Mark and Joyce are about to lead us in a couple verses of an invitation to them. And this is an invitation for everybody. Y'all, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I would love for today to be the day that you get introduced to That he's calling you out onto the way to say, I am calling you today. I'm calling you to become one of my own. I'm calling you to forgiveness and grace and mercy. And all you've got to do is come. To take a step into the unknown. We'll be glad to hold you in and walk with you through it and, and show you who Jesus is so that you can trust and believe in it. If you don't know Jesus, that's the invitation for you today. If you do know Jesus, 
Your invitation is to start expecting him to do God-sized things. To ask him to. To depend on him to. Especially in VBS this week. Okay? I'm going to pray. You need to come, you come. You've got several options. You can either come down this aisle and, and talk with me. You can fill out the guest card on the side of your bulletin or catch me at the back door. But don't leave here without moving if the Holy Spirit calls you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you.